0: the feast of christ the king and i think a, a wonderful opportunity to celebrate what a wonderful king jesus is and to reflect on what his kingship means for us in the world for for me every christian in this world is part of the jesus kingdom in the making
1: So our first reading is from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 18, verses 33 to 38. And I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Pilate went into the Praetorium again and called Jesus and asked him, Are you the King of the Jews? Jesus replied, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done that is worthy of death? So Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world, nor does it have its origin in the world. If my kingdom were of this world, My servants would be fighting hard to keep me from being handed over to the Jews, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate said to him, "You are a king." Jesus answered, "You may correctly say correctly that I am a king. This is why I was born, and for this have I come into the world, to testify to the truth." For everyone who is of the the truth, who is a friend of the truth, and belongs to the truth, hears and listens carefully to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is the truth?
2: Second reading is from Revelations 1, 4b to 8 from the Amplified Bible. John to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia. Grace be granted to you and peace in a calm and spiritual well-being from him who is existing forever and who was continually existing in the past and who is to come and from the seven spirits that are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful and trustworthy witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who always loves us and who has once for all freed us or washed us from our sins by his own blood, his sacrificial death, and formed us into a kingdom as subjects, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power and the majesty and the dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes and nations of the earth will mourn over him, realising their sin and guilt and anticipating the coming wrath. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is existing forever and who was and who is to come, the almighty, the omnipotent, the ruler of all.
0: If you noticed uh, as uh, the Bible readings were being read, especially in that uh, Revelation one, there was a little line there that is easy to skip over where it says that in his kingdom, we are his subjects and that we are priests. Now, it's not something that's talked about, I know, within Methodism, but one of our core beliefs is that we are a priesthood of all believers. Now, that sounds perhaps a a fancy title, but I want to explore the fact that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus is our saviour and Lord, we are citizens of that kingdom. And what might the implications of that be for every one of us? Whatever our age, whatever our abilities, or whatever we perceive our disabilities to be. We live, I would say, in a Jesus kingdom. Now, for a moment, can you cast your mind back to when Prince Harry got married? And we often think that this country nowadays is rather secular, secular don't we? And perhaps not at all interested in the things of God. And yet, the thing that hit the headlines that day was the sermon, wasn't it? On my word, didn't Bishop Michael Kerry cause those who were running this show a few headaches? Because what happened? Being the Christian that he is, the enthusiast for Jesus that he is, he got carried away. He got passionate, didn't he? And he said things like, Jesus didn't get an honorary doctorate for dying. He wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the well-being of the whole world. And Michael was saying with such great passion and certainty what love is. And he went on to say love isn't selfish and self-centered. It can be sacrificial. And in that way, unselfish love changes lives, and it can change this world. And if you don't believe me, just imagine, he said, a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and families where love is the way. Imagine our neighborhoods where love is the way. And the wonderful thing is, or I got the impression, I don't know about you, that people found it interesting, and not just interesting, they found it attractive and exciting. And I guess, from the few comments I heard at the time, you either loved it or you thought you hated it. You had to come down one side or the other. There was no sitting on the fence, was there? And if you recall, Jesus said himself, you're either for me or against me. So that's the, that's the first challenge this morning. Who are you for? Why are you here? What is it you're looking for? What is it you're hoping to achieve by being part of this gathering this morning? And is Jesus not only your Lord and Savior, but your King? to whom you owe your allegiance. And it's quite clear, isn't it, in both our readings that Jesus knew he was a king. He knew he was something different, and he wasn't a king in a worldly way. And the thing is, we we talk about preaching the gospel, We talk about preaching the good news that Jesus died so that we might come into God's presence without fear. However, a little closer reading of the translations, and especially in in the early chapter of Mark, where it says that he became preaching, I think I prefer, much prefer, the alternative uh, translation of the Greek, where it says he came proclaiming, proclaiming in that sense of a herald, coming to tell some special news. Because in the Greek world, when a herald came proclaiming, everybody came out their house to hear what was being said. Everybody knew that it was important. And it's my belief that over this last three, four hundred years, we've got too hung up on the salvation aspects of the gospel at the expense of Jesus is king and all that that means. Yes, personal salvation is important because we're talking about restoring our personal relationship with God. However, where does that then go? What do you do in your lives, in my life? If Jesus is king. For our faith Surely it's not jammed tomorrow. Surely it's very much here and now and relevant to every day. And as Michael Curry said so eloquently, imagine a world where love is the way. Okay, so that's a rather bold evidence. What evidence have I got to back up what I'm saying? Well, I would like to look at for a moment of what Jesus said, what he did and how he did it. Let's take two of Jesus' parables in particular. Do you remember in the story of the lost son how right at the end of the story, the stay-at-home brother feels hard done by? And then again in the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, those who came early were quite upset that they got the same wages as the ones who came late. I used to have sympathy for both the older son and the laborers because it didn't seem fair. Then I saw it another way. The point is for me anyway, and maybe from this moment on for you, wages are not money. The wages, I believe, are God's grace and the right to be a citizen of the kingdom. So what the laborers should have been saying was, Gosh, we're so glad that you lads got here now, but have you any idea what a fabulous day you've missed? And again, in the parable of the lost son, very human response, isn't it? The older son had been a good boy, stayed home, worked hard. But the father was quite bemused at the attitude of the older son, because he says, haven't I already given you everything? The son is jealous of younger brother. He thinks that love is a finite commodity and how that causes havoc, not only in the world, but in the church. And a small instance of that is when Miffy and I we're talking to a friend recently and talking about the use of money in the church. And our friend said, The problem is that too many treasurers think of themselves as gatekeepers. How much can I accumulate? How much can I keep in the reserves just in case? So instead of there being an ethos of love, which is expressed in how can we expend this money to further the kingdom, there's an ethos of fear. And this business of infiniteness and finiteness is one of the key things that we really have to get our heads and hearts around. As the Reverend Mother says to Maria in The Sound of Music, if you love this man, do you think that means you love God less? For surely there's more love to go around than we have the capacity to accept. The older son has missed the point that he's had the joy of being part of the kingdom all the time. I wonder if we recognize the joy of being part of God's kingdom or if sometimes we miss the point. And the second question is, what did Jesus do? In Mark chapter one, we told that after John was put in prison, prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And in Luke's gospel in chapter four, we read that in Nazareth, When Jesus was asked to speak in the synagogue, he took the scroll, opened it to Isaiah and read these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the lord's favor he then said today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and i would say all over this world in unreported places in unreported instances this scripture is continuing to be fulfilled And as I said, we're not about preaching, we're about proclaiming. And that proclaiming needs to be earthed in action. Do you recall when the disciples of John the Baptist came to ask Jesus whether he was the Messiah? Jesus didn't simply say yes. What he said was Go back and tell John what you see, the lame walk, the blind see, and the deaf hear. Yes, Jesus is not just using words. His actions match his words. And as we say, he walks the talk. He's healing people. He's freeing captives from all sorts of prisons, mental, emotional, and physical. So the final question is, how did Jesus do it? I suppose we might be forgiven for answering that question by saying, oh, by annoying the powers that be. And in a way, that's correct. At the end of his life, however, Jesus turns everything upside down. What looks like a defeat becomes a huge and glorious victory. Death is defeated And the old order is swept away. And as we heard earlier in the John reading, Jesus said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. In an earthly kingdom, the king rules often for his or her own benefit and rarely mixes with his or her subjects. But in God's kingdom, King Jesus comes as the lowest of the low being born in a stable. Our king is not remote, far from it. He lived amongst us for over 30 years. As the message version puts it in John 1, and he moved into the neighborhood. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came so that if we ask, we can carry him with us forever. In an earthly kingdom, the laws are written on paper, and there are police to enforce them. In God's kingdom, the laws are written on our hearts and there is the encourager of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not and does not rule by ordering us about. He rules by being a servant. His method of doing things is by love and service. He gave us a wonderful gift. He literally poured out himself for us at Calvary. He became the doorway through which we can enter the kingdom to become his brothers and sisters through adoption. And if brothers and sisters, have you ever thought, if he's a king, that you're a prince or princess? And as family members, we're now encouraged to follow his example, to serve in the kingdom as loyal and willing citizens. And again, I say, As Michael said, imagine a world where love is the way. So where does that leave us? If I have in some measure persuaded you this morning that the king is already ruling over his kingdom and it's here now, then what does that look like for us today? A a spiritual writer called Selwyn Hughes once wrote, Although Christ is king and has absolute authority over all things, he is, at this present moment, using world conditions as the -the on-the-job training for his church. Well, as part of that training, we could do a lot worse than to follow what Peter tells us to do in his second letter, where he says, don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each of those dimensions fitting into and developing, developing those qualities to be active and growing in our lives. And he goes on to say, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you. Oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. So my friends, confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. Do this, and you'll have your life on a firm footing. The streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our Master and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we won't have to imagine a world where love is the way. For surely, we will be living it. Amen.
3: God of heaven, living in me Gentle Savior, closest friend Strong deliver, beginning and end All within me falls at your throne See you <laughs>
2: is adapted from recorded Zoom services held by Teambridge Methodist Circuit coastal section. Full videos can be viewed on their YouTube channel. Music is taken from worship audio tracks, all rights reserved.